Since 1998, Stamps.com has been an indispensable tool for nearly 1 million businesses. Stamps.com brings the services of the U.S. Postal Service and UPS shipping right to your computer. Whether you're an office sending invoices, a side hustle Etsy shop, or a full-blown warehouse shipping out orders, Stamps.com will make your life easier. All you need is a computer and a standard printer. No special supplies or equipment. Within minutes, you're up and running, printing official postage for any letter, any package, anywhere you want to send. And you'll get exclusive discounts on postage and shipping from USPS and UPS. Once your mail is ready, just schedule a pickup or drop it off. No traffic, no lines. Cut the confusion out of shipping. With Stamps.com's new rate advisor tool, you can compare shipping rates and timelines to easily find the best option. Save time and money with Stamps.com. There's no risk. And with our promo code POD, P-O-D, you get a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage and a digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in POD. That's Stamps.com, promo code P-O-D. Stamps.com. Never go to the post office again. The Oracle Network. Welcome to Yield Crime, where we discuss the funny, strange, and obscure crimes of yesteryear. I'm your host, Lindsay Valenti, and with me today is not my sister Madison, who is currently in New Orleans doing something fun. Instead, I am being joined today by my good friend, John. Hello. I am... Just pretend I'm the little sister today, okay? Okay. Let's just go with that. (laughs) Well, I mean, you are younger than me, so I'll I'll pretend you're my younger brother today. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) (laughs) So do you want to tell them where you're from or yes. what, sh- what shows they can associate you with? I got a lot of shows that you can associate <laughs> me with. How uh, much for, time we got? <laughs> and for the first time listeners of, well, me, I am John. I am one third of Reddit on Wiki and also one half of the Dumbfound Dead. And uh, first off, just want to say thanks to Lindsay for having me on. And yeah. uh, that's a high honor of being a replacement of your sister for today. Oh. I am yeah. jealous that she's in New Orleans, even though it's for work purposes. Yeah. Please, please, please eat all the charbroiled oysters and gumbo <laughs> you can for me. I beg of you. I'll get a full report for what food she had while she was there, because I'm sure yes, she's going to be enjoying. If she doesn't have at least one beignet, she's not oh my, my sister. God. Yes. <laughs> you need to come out of New Orleans looking like, I don't know if you watch Chappelle's show, but you need to come yeah. out looking like Ashy Larry after eating <laughs> a bunch of <laughs> a bunch of Cafe Du Monde. Please, exactly. please let me oh, know. Man. Describe it in detail. I am starving and I love New Orleans. Yeah. It's funny that you mentioned Cafe Du Monde because I'm actually drinking their coffee right now with the, oh, the, yeah. chi- the chicory. The chicory, yes. That's that's oh, a good. God. It's so good. It is. It's so good. Love it. All right. As I kind of alluded to when I was like, can you help me and be on my show? very last minute, so thank you for agreeing to do it. We are covering a paranormal case this week. Spooky. Spooky. So this week, we are going to be covering Bridget Cleary. Have you heard of her before? 
No idea who that is or what that is. This Sweet. Point. Sweet. That's what I like to hear. So information was pulled from the following sources. A 2021 Britannica article by Jeffrey Abbott. A 2018 History Collection article by Natasha Sheldon. A 2018 Mental Floss article by Maria J. Perez Cuervo, which is an awesome name. A 2000 New York Times Books article by David Willis McCullough. An 1895 New York Times article from the Wayback Machine. Actually, two articles. The Genie website, which is genealogy. The Library Ireland article by Michael J. McCarthy. And Wikipedia. Wiki. Yep, good old wiki. (laughs) And links to all these articles will be included in the show notes. So Bridget Boland was born in 1869 to parents Patrick and Bridget in Ballyvedlay, County Tipperary, Ireland. You may be surprised to learn that she was their only child, and I couldn't find any records of any siblings being born and then passing. That was, like, very rare back then. Yeah, we have one kid. I'm only childs of troublemakers, man. I Me know. being included. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's it sucks being an only child because you can't blame your mistakes to another person, which is unfortunate. <laughs> yeah, the ghost did it. It wasn't. Yeah, me. the ghost did. Casper, Casper was the one. <laughs> it was Casper. So the town of Ballyvedlay was just a small hamlet at the time of her birth, consisting of just nine homes with a population of 31 people. So very small. Man, they probably know each other's dirt and secrets over there. That's what I was thinking. I was like, man, everyone knows everyone's business. Juicy. Nothing is secret. Bridget's father, Patrick, was a farm laborer, and he and his wife worked to ensure that their daughter would learn a good trade to not only support herself, but to support them as they aged, which is very forward thinking of them. Take care of me when I'm old. Oh, God, I don't expect if I end up having some sort of spawn, I don't like to call them children. (laughs) If I end up having a spawn someday, I will. I'm scared because I'm not going to want them to take care of me. I just want to croak somewhere and just be like, burn me. (laughs) Yeah. Cremate me and just leave me alone. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. I don't want no funeral. I don't want people remembering me. Just let me go in peace. There you go. Yeah, exactly. So after receiving an education with the local nuns, she was sent to Clonmel, which is about 11 miles away, to apprentice with a dressmaker. And dressmaking was a high-paying profession, and one that the pretty and fashionable Bridget seemed to enjoy. She was very popular with the men of Clonmel, and was described as, quote, nice in manners and appearance, end quote, as well as, quote, virtuous and respectable in all her conduct and all her proceedings, end quote. Hey. Nice. So a catch, basically. She, yeah, she's a catch. She can make make uh, clothing pretty well. And mm-hmm. yeah, pretty cool. Yeah. So given how outgoing and vivacious she was, it came as a bit of a shock when she chose to get married to Michael Cleary in August of 1887 at the age of 18. Michael was nine years older than her and 27 at the time of their marriage. I had to mentally calculate that. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I'm not the best at math. It sucks. I'm not either. I did the like finger trick when I was adding it for like nines. <laughs> I'm like that one meme. I, I don't know what show that shows us from where all these calculations. Yes. Was that Galifianakis meme? I'm like 19 plus eight. Well, my math teacher told me that I wouldn't have any calculators growing up. Well, jokes on you, ma'am. It's in my phone. Exactly. I can ask Google to add it yes. for me. 
If for listeners, I'm Asian, by the way, so I'm a disgrace to my race. <laughs> I am not good at math. I'm not an Asian. I am a Bijan because that's what I average. C's gets degrees, but go to school, kids, just for friends. <laughs> you never know. Maybe phones will die in the future and you will actually need to know math. So That's true. Well, hopefully I'll be dead by then because then <laughs> Same. I not know what to do. I won't either. How many apples did I want? I don't know. I don't know how I many apples I got. <laughs> Michael, who hailed from Killinell, was known to be rather dour and sullen, and he worked as a cooper, which is a person who is trained to make wooden barrels, buckets, tubs, casks, and troughs. So basically a woodworker. I was thinking of a chicken person because, you know, a chicken coop. That's what I thought at first, too. I had to look it up. I was like, I have no idea what that is. Yeah. Okay. So so pretty cool because people need that kind of stuff. So I would imagine you make a decent living doing that. Isn't it funny too? Like uh, all the skill sets back then, uh, you have to be able to make dresses. Now you just got to go on Amazon or something. I don't know. Go to Walmart, <laughs> find yeah. something, and look at us. What's our trade? What's our talent? This in this generation, we are podcasters. Damn, it. I know, I know. <laughs> that is our skill. <laughs> <laughs> I use my voice. That's it. <laughs> if you were to go back then, they'd be like, "What?" <laughs> I'm sorry. So for a time, Bridget moved back home to live with her parents after her marriage to Michael to take care of her mother, who at that time was in poor health. And the pair would see each other on weekends as they only lived 11 miles apart. So not too bad, but not your typical married arrangement. And while she and her husband were living apart, Bridget began to make a bit of a name for herself about town. She kept her own chickens and would sell the eggs to her neighbors. Not only that, but she became an independent professional woman after purchasing a Singer sewing machine, which was a state-of-the-art piece of equipment back then. So she worked as a dressmaker and a milliner, in addition to taking care of her chickens. Add to that, she was literate at a time when women really weren't taught how to read. So she was very resourceful. So she had like everything going for her, making tons of money, I'm assuming. You know, she had various trades. Do you, sis? Look at you. I-N-D-E-P-E-D-E-N-T. I can't spell right now, but you know what that sound is. <laughs> so yeah, she was doing okay for herself. In 1890, her mother passed, and following her death, she and Michael took over the care of her elderly father, Patrick. Michael chose to move to Bally Vilea instead of asking his wife and father-in-law to move to Clonmel. So he was like, it makes more sense for me to come to you. And thanks to her father, who had been a laborer prior to his old age, the pair were able to secure a home reserved for laborers in the village in 1891, not far from her paternal aunt, Mary Kennedy, and her cousin, Joanna Burke. So the home would be an integral part of what was to come, as it's believed it was built on the site of a supposed fairy ring fort, or a reef. A circular prehistoric dwelling made from stone circles, earthen mounds, ring forts, or hill forts. One thing we kind of need to go over before we go any further is the belief in the supernatural during this time in Ireland, and still to this day in some areas of Ireland. So the belief in fairies was prevalent in rural areas of Ireland, and this belief coexisted along with the Christian beliefs of the people at the time. So members of these rural areas would grow up with legends of little people and how you could appease them by leaving food for them at the table. And fairies were blamed for anything that went wrong, like bad crops, spoiled milk, illnesses, lost or stolen items, you name it. Not only that, but fairies were known to steal adults and children and leave a replacement in their place as a changeling. 
So the changelings would take the guise of the person they were replacing and were often sickly and died soon after they appeared. And it's said that the previous tenants of the cottage had left and they were driven away by the local fairies after they had angered them. Damn. Yeah. So that's kind of the backstory you need to know moving forward. It's crazy how the little fairies or little creatures, it's just so past in so many kind of folklore and cultures. Mm-hmm. I know the, the Filipino culture, I, I want to say as well as like in Mexico, there's stories of duendes, which is pretty much like, sounds like this version of this. And I do have a story. <laughs> I do have a wild story. When I was little, there's a legend in the Philippines. It's called Nuno Sapunso, which is pretty much a, a, a kind of like a forest cre- or dweller living mm-hmm. in some sort of an anthill. Mm-hmm. So when I was a kid, like I said, those little only child were troublemakers. Yep. So what I did is what I kicked the crap out of that anthill, Uh-oh. right? So then for, for then I, I think I want to say I angered one of the creatures and I got sick, like super bad, taking me to the medical doctors and they're just like, your kid's fine. We don't have any symptoms or anything. Mm-hmm. So my parents took me then to a witch doctor in the Philippines. They're called Albulario over there. And well, there, there's this kind of, I want to say like a ritual or some sort of a way to find out what's what's bothering you. Mm-hmm. But they pretty much get a glass of water and then they dump like an egg yolk in there. Mm-hmm. And then the egg yolk will then turn to a shape of what creature was messing with you or bothering you. Oh, okay. So the shape of the yolk kind of formed into a smaller person. Like it looked mm-hmm. like a, a small creature. So then the the witch doctor was like, hey, go back to the site where you disrespected the the creature offer some food, offer some, some things to like appease their anger. Mm-hmm. We put like a bunch of food in there next day. Perfectly fine. That's crazy. Which is insane. Like, I, did I have pneumonia? Did I have, I don't know, maybe something else back then. But mm-hmm. the next day where we tried to like say sorry to it, everything was fine. That's crazy. Yeah. So uh, this, this is just so crazy. Like it's just so passed down to many like cultures. I think it's amazing. That's awesome. I mean, not awesome that you got super sick, but like <laughs> the whole thing is really awesome in the sense that like, you know, like you said, other cultures have this, have this similar beliefs and these similar yeah. creatures and similar ways to appease them as well. Yes. Them things are vengeful. Let's just yeah. say that. Yeah. So at the time that the three moved in together, she and Michael had at that point been married for about eight years. They never had any children. And even after they moved, Bridget continued to deliver eggs to her neighbors collecting the money monthly to supplement her earnings from her dressmaking business. Bridget would travel to several places in the countryside that many of the locals associated with fairies. In fact, one of her customers, a man named John Dunn, lived on, I didn't translate it, Kilangrana Hill, which was another local fairy fort. And things in the Cleary household were fine for the first four years that the three lived in the cottage. But that all changed on March 4th, 1895. The weather was bitterly cold for the time of year, and Bridget fell ill after making the two- to three-mile walk in the snow. She spent the next day, Tuesday, March 5th, shivering in bed and complaining of a, quote, raging pain in her head, end quote. Which, I mean, if you're walking in the snow for, like, three miles, you're going to get sick, man. Oh, yeah. It's not like women were able to wear pants or stuff. She was walking around in a dress. Dress, right. So she probably had tons of snow going up underneath the dress, getting all over her legs and stuff, in her shoes. So she was forced to stay home for several days to recuperate. And even though she was typically a very healthy woman, she had a hard time overcoming the illness. And in fact, it became worse. 
It was on Saturday, March 9th, that her father Patrick walked four miles in heavy rain to the local doctor, Dr. Crean, to see if he could pay them a visit to see what was afflicting Bridget. Dr. Crean had also been summoned twice by her husband Michael, but was not able to visit her until the following week on Wednesday, March 13th. When Dr. Crean arrived, he gave her some medicine after determining that she was suffering from nervous excitement, which I don't know what that means, but all right, and a slight case of bronchitis. And even though she was bedridden, he, quote, could see nothing in the case likely to cause death, end quote. So even though she wasn't feeling well, he was like, I'm not super concerned. I think she's in a She's going to get over this. Later that day, Father Ryan, who was the priest at the Catholic church that the Clearys belonged to, came to visit Bridget. She was in bed, and even though he wasn't concerned about her illness, because of Michael's suggestion, her husband, he administered last rites on the off chance her condition worsened. He later stated, quote, She did not converse with him, except as a priest, and her conversation was quite coherent and intelligible, end quote. So she was like in her right mind. She wasn't so sick that she was like delirious or anything. John Dunn, who lives up on Clinigra Hill and is a friend of Michael, came to visit Bridget around the same time as the priest and the doctor, at least on the same day. I'm not quite sure at what point during the day, but on the same day. Upon entering the bedroom where she lay, he took one look at her and said, quote, that is not Bridget Boland, end quote. Michael heard what John said and was already in a desperate state of mind given the fact that his wife had been given last rites. So when he heard this, he became convinced that his wife had in fact been taken and swapped out with the changeling. Damn, okay. The plot thickens, okay. Yep. In talking to John, he urged Michael to act quickly or the real Bridget could be lost forever. John told Michael, quote, it is not your wife in there. This is the eighth day, and you had a right to have gone to Ganny, who was the local ferry doctor, on the fifth day, end quote. So he's saying, you need to get over and talk to this guy. So Dennis Ganey, who was known as a local ferry doctor, was visited by Michael the following day, Thursday, March 14th. And he gave him an herbal mixture that included the nine cures that was to be mixed with new milk and given to Bridget. So new milk is the nutrient-rich first milk that's produced by a cow after she's given birth to a calf. And the mix of herbs was to be boiled in the new milk. And the reason for the milk is because fairies are said to be quite fond of it. So it's something that, like, if she enjoyed drinking it, obviously she's some sort of fairy. Let's let's be real. This... We all know that's opium that's in there, right? Yeah. <laughs> Some sort of cocaine. <laughs> yeah, there's something crazy in there. The nine cures. Yeah. Nine cures, yeah. Yeah, it's like LSD sure, sure, or something. Sure, sure. <laughs> right. So later that day, Father Ryan, quote, was called to see Mrs. Cleary, but he told the messenger that having administered the last rites of the church on the previous day, there was no need to see her again so soon because he did not consider her dangerously ill, end quote. So around 10 p.m., Joanna Burke, who was Bridget's cousin who lived nearby, came to the home to visit and check on her cousin, but was told to wait outside along with her daughter Katie while Bridget was given her medicine. Not long after this, William Simpson and his wife Minnie, who were neighbors that lived around 200 yards away from the Cleary property, stopped by to also pay Bridget a visit to see how she was faring. Joanna said to them, quote, they are giving her herbs got from Ganey over the mountain and nobody will be let in for some time, end quote. It wasn't long before the sounds of cries could be heard coming from inside the home, along with a voice shouting, and there's some 
language that is not really appropriate now, but quote, take it, you bitch, you old faggot, or we will burn you, end quote, which I'm like, okay, not appropriate, but very not, very not appropriate. I I do not condone that language. I am just quoting what was said. The men forced Bridget, quote, to take the herbs, and Cleary asked her, are you Bridget Boland, the wife of Michael Cleary, in the name of God? Bridget answered two times, but refused to answer a third time. As she was being forced to take the mixture, which she complained was too bitter, her forehead was burnt by a poker that had been held against it to entice her to drink. Like the yeah, like the a, thing that you're branding? A branding one? Yeah, like something that you would put in the fire to like poke the embers and stuff. Oh my gosh. And the reason they did that is because fairies were supposedly like afraid of fire. So that's why they did it. But I'm just like, why would you put a poker against your forehead? Like that's Is this is this like the a pre reincarnated version of Zach Bagans or something? I feel like this person, <laughs> I know. It's just, he's just provoking the person. And is this, is the girl Aaron or something? Yeah. <laughs> you go in there, Aaron. <laughs> Aaron has been possessed by a fairy. We're gonna get it out of his body by burning his forehead. Bro, 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 bro. Do you hear that, bro? <laughs> I gotta take off my sunglasses. <laughs> and my affliction shirt. <laughs> Get out here, ghosts. <laughs> Come at me. <laughs> so everything had been closed up, including the shutters, and the door had been locked as well. Shortly after the screaming stopped, the door was opened and the shouts of, away she go, away she go, could be heard from inside as the men in the home believed they had managed to get the fairies to leave the house. And as soon as the door was opened, the four who were outside came into the home, only to discover Bridget being held down on her bed by three of the Kennedy boys, Patrick, James, and William, who were Joanna's brothers, as well as John, who was the the man from up on the hill. Her father, Patrick, was also present in the room. Michael stood by the bed and requested that a liquid be thrown on her. Bridget's Aunt Mary brought the liquid, which ended up being urine, in a saucepan. Yeah. Well, the damn fairies would probably be pissed off at that point. (laughs) Yeah. Why are you peeing on me? (laughs) God. Which Michael took before splashing it on Bridget several times. Oh. Right? Ugh. It's like some R. Kelly shit. Right. On a golden shower. Come on, man. I'm already like, you made me like gag down this milk mixture and now you're like throwing pee on me? Like what's going on? Whose pee was it? Is it I don't know. Oh my gosh. I don't know whose pee it was. If he's not sick, this person's probably gonna have some sort of like venereal issues from like possibly contagious I don't know, something. Not pee. Ugh. So gross. Yeah. So Bridget was struggling in vain on the bed, crying to be left alone. Michael then forced Bridget to drink more of the herb milk mixture while she was being held down by the men for around 10 minutes afterward, with one of the men keeping his hand on her mouth to force her to swallow. William Simpson later stated, quote, The men at each side of the bed kept her body swinging about the whole time and shouting, Away with you, come back Bridget Boland in the name of God, end quote. So, like, as soon as they give her the milk, they kind of, like, shake the bed. To I don't know if it was in some weird attempt to, like, exercise the fairies yeah. or what. But 
So after this, she was hauled up and held by John and the three Kennedy brothers in a sitting position over the embers of the kitchen fire. The rosary was said as she was being questioned, and she was asked repeatedly, Are you Bridget Boland, wife of Michael Cleary, in the name of God? And according to tradition, ordeals by fire were known to drive out fairies as they were repeatedly questioned. So kind of like with the poker. Simpson later shared that as the four men held her in her nightdress over the fire, he, quote, could see her body resting on the bars of the grate where the fire was burning, end quote. Bam. Bridget, who was an independent and strong-willed woman, appeared wild and deranged at the treatment which she, she was receiving, before eventually responding, I am Bridget Boland, daughter of Pat Boland, in the name of God, the required three times. I'd be so he- I'd be so heated if I was her. I'm just like, you really made me drink some nasty-ass milk. You pissed on me, essentially. Yeah. You were shaking me violently for God knows how long. Mm-hmm. And you dare still question me and put me by the fire? Like, I would be pissed if I was her. Yeah, I would be pissed too. So all the, the men assembled, John, Michael, and the Kennedy brothers, had been anxious for her to answer the questions before midnight. After she had answered them successfully, she was carried back to bed, where the women changed her chemist, and she was asked to identify each person who was in the room, which Bridget was able to do successfully. The Kennedy brothers, they left around 1 a.m. to attend the wake of Michael Cleary's father, who lay dead in Clinalau. So Michael's dad had died during this time that like his wife was sick and he was questioning her. So he's probably under a lot of stress, and he's not going to his dad's wake because you know his wife is sick. John Dunn left around 2 a.m. and around daybreak, or about 6, William and Minnie Simpson, as well as her cousin Joanna, left the Cleary home. On Friday, March 15th, things really took a turn. Okay. Yeah. As if that wasn't bad enough. I thought that was like the <laughs> the peak, and I'm just like, oh, we can get worse? Yep. This is like an infomercial right now. But wait, <laughs> there's more. <laughs> more pee. Just kidding. I don't know if there's more pee. <laughs> another sauce banful. You're in for a treat. Oh, but <laughs> Bridget told her husband that she could see the police at the bedroom window and she begged him to leave her be. Michael's response was to throw the contents of the nearest chamber pot over her and throw it at the window. So I guess there was more pee. I forgot about that. <laughs> There's just so much pee. I forgot. I know, right? <laughs> Around 7 a.m., Michael summoned Father Ryan asking him to come to his house to celebrate Mass, since his wife had, quote, a very bad night, end quote. So Father Ryan arrived at the home around 8.15 and said Mass in the bedroom where Bridget lay. Later, Father Ryan noted, quote, she seemed more nervous and excited than on Wednesday. Her husband and father were present before Mass began, but I could not say who was there during its celebration. When leaving, I asked Cleary, was he giving his wife the medicine the doctor ordered? Cleary answered that he had no faith in it. I told him that it should be administered. Cleary replied that people may have some remedy of their own that could do more good than doctor's medicine, end quote. After Father Ryan left, Bridget stayed in bed. Several people came and went from the home that day to check on her health, including a farmer named Thomas Smith, who stopped by after plowing his fields, as well as neighbors Mira, Tobin, Anglin, and Lee. So I think we can assume, based on the number of visitors she had throughout her illness, that she was pretty popular and well-loved in her community. 
I mean, there's only like what thirty of them, so <laughs> I know, right? It's like everyone's like, "Oh my god!" Like you got no choice but to visit. <laughs> I know. Just, what you can ta- you can tally it up. Just like did this did this guy visit me? Okay, no. Okay, check it <laughs> off. Like, all right, I'll remember that mentally. I can only I can only remember thirty names. So. Yep. Who else didn't visit me today? <laughs> her cousin Joanna spent a good portion of the day at the Cleary home, doing what she could to help around the house. She recalled that at one point, Michael went to Bridget's bedside holding a canister and said there was 20 pounds, which today would be around just under 2,700 pounds in the, in the canister. Bridget tied a string around it and asked Michael to take care of it, stating that he wouldn't know the difference until he no longer had it. Joanna stated that Bridget was in her right mind, only frightened at everything, which is understandable given, you know, like the torture she's been forced to endure. So around 8 o'clock on Friday, Michael gathered everyone around Bridget's bedside once again after sending Joanna and her daughter Katie out to fetch Thomas Smith and David Hogan. When Joanna returned with the men, her mother Mary, Joanna, Pat, and Bridget's father Pat were all gathered in the room. Michael had a bottle in his hand and asked Bridget, will you take this now as Tom Smith and David Hogan are in here in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost? Tom asked what was in the bottle, and Michael informed him that it was holy water, which Bridget agreed to take after saying, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. After this, Michael went into the kitchen with Tom and David and sat there. Michael told the men that Bridget would get up since she had company. And sure enough, she put on a frock and a shawl and came to sit by the kitchen fire, leaving her bed under her own power for the first time in 11 days. It This felt like an eternity. I'm like, 11 days? I thought it was like six months. I know. But this is the first time she's like been able to get herself out of bed. Wow, that's insane. I know. And it wasn't long until the talk turned to the topic of witchcraft and charms, as it would. Tom stayed at the Cleary home until midnight. And when he left, the following were in the house. Michael, Bridget's father, Patrick, her Aunt Mary, the three Kennedy brothers, Patrick, James, and William, her cousin, Joanna, and Joanna's daughter, Katie. Joanna recalled that not long after Tom's departure, Bridget turned to her husband and said, quote, your mother used to go with the fairies, and that is why you think I am going with them, end quote. Michael exclaimed, did my mother tell you that? And Bridget responded, she did, that she gave two nights with them. End quote. So basically, she's saying she spent two. She went and hung out with the fairies two days in a row. Oh, had a little rager there, did they? Mm-hmm. She brought some milk, and they just hang, hung out. <laughs> I, I kind of I'm curious, like what what's really in that milk? Yeah, it has to be some sort of a hallucinogen. You'd think, like I don't. I'm very curious to know what the the herbs were that they use because I mean, it'd be kind of funny if it was like rosemary, basil. You know what I mean? Like if it was just yeah. like totally benign weird things or if it was something you know like uh belladonna which would cause hallucinations and could possibly kill you you know because it is poisonous yeah i don't i don't really drink much milk but you know if, if it's a <laughs> if it's a brand new calf yeah right how does that pasteurization pasteurize you think is it would would that make the milk funky or something that could possibly cause that i don't know i'm just throwing ideas i don't know out there. Well, because I I think like new milk is typically like it's really sweet and it's supposed to have like tons of nutrients because it's, you know, like the first milk. Right. So, yeah, I wonder what the herbs would do to that if it would like sour it almost, you know what I mean? Which could explain why she was saying it was so bitter. Yeah. But I don't know. 
So around this time, Joanna made Bridget a cup of tea. But before she could have any, Michael decided to give Bridget the ordeal by bread. So he made Bridget three pieces of bread with jam and demanded that she eat all three pieces before she could drink the cup of tea that her cousin prepared for her. Bridget ate the bread that she was given, and each time she ate a piece, Michael asked her to confirm her identity. She answered after the first two pieces of bread, but when he asked her a third time what her name was, she did not answer. Michael forced her to eat the third piece, saying, If you won't take it, down you will go. I mean, can you imagine trying to talk after eating a bunch of dry bread? It's not easy. Exactly. (laughs) Going to Popeye's and getting, you know, three pieces with a biscuit. Yeah, try talking after eating one biscuit, let alone... It's a choking hazard. It is. (laughs) Totally. Michael then threw Bridget to the ground and mounted her, pinning her down with a knee on her chest and a hand on her throat. Swallow it, he commanded. Is it down? Is it down? So he's like, lost it. Is this the guy that had his uh, dad passed? Yes. So this is her husband. Okay. Oh my gosh. This, yeah. this is going on full-on domestic on, on her. That's, that's yeah. not right. Yeah. Joanna begged Michael to let her alone. Don't you see it as Bridget that is in it? But he still suspected that it was a fairy and not his wife. The following is a quote from Joanna of the events that followed, as relayed by her in court. Quote, Michael Cleary stripped his wife's clothes off, except her chemist, and got a lighted stick out of the fire and held it near her mouth. My mother, brothers, and myself wanted to leave, but Cleary said he had the key of the door, and the door would not be opened till he got his wife back. I saw Cleary throw lamp oil on her. When she was burning, she turned to me and called out, Oh, Han, Han, I endeavored to get out for the peelers. My brother William went up into the other room and fell in a weakness, and my mother threw Easter water over him. Bridget Cleary was all this time burning on the hearth, and the house was full of smoke and smell. I had to go up to the room. I could not stand it. Cleary then came up into the room where we were and took away a large sack bag. He said, hold your tongue, Hannah. It is not Bridget I am burning. You will soon see her go up into the chimney. My brothers James and William said, burn her if you like, but give us the key and let us get out. While she was burning, Cleary screamed out, She is burned now. God knows I did not mean to do it. When I looked down into the other room again, I saw the remains of Bridget Cleary lying on the floor on a sheet. She was lying on her face and her legs turned upwards as if they had contracted in burning. She was dead and burned. End quote. Holy crap. Yeah. That is dark. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my gosh. Michael was under the impression that, according to tradition, Once a changeling died, or was killed, the abducted loved one would return upon a white horse. William at one point had asked Michael to let them out, but Michael refused, instead going outside himself and locking the door behind him, trapping everyone inside with the burnt remains of his wife. The group prayed as they lay in wait for Michael's return. When Michael returned, brandishing a knife and asked Joanna's brother Patrick to help carry Bridget's burnt body from the house and assist him in burying it, quote, until such time as he could lay her beside her mother, end quote. Patrick agreed to do it because he was afraid that Michael would kill him if he said no. The men carried the body to a boggy area not far from the cottage where they buried her in a shallow hole. They were gone for two hours. 
and during that time, the rest of the family was locked inside the home, not allowed to leave until the pair returned. Michael then confronted Joanna and told her what her cover story was to be for this night, stating that if asked about her cousin's disappearance, she was to say, quote, I went to prepare her a drink, and when returning, met her at the door, and that she spat at me and went out of the door, and that I could not say where she went to, end quote. Gosh. Yeah. Oh, this is heavy. Yeah. Michael told the assembled group that, quote, he would go down towards Clonine and pretend he was half mad, end quote, before making Joanna swear that she wouldn't tell what actually happened that night. When he turned to Bridget's father, Pat, he said, quote, now that my child is burned, there is no use in saying anything about it, but God help me in the latter end of my days, end quote. So, like, her dad was in there, too. And Jesus. You know? And that's his only kid. Goodness. I, is, is there a plot twist to this? Like, is he the changeling? <laughs> you would think so. My goodness. On Saturday, March 16th, Joanna saw Michael washing the trousers of his tweed suit and exclaimed, quote, Oh God, Hannah, there is the substance of poor Bridget's body on them when he found grease stains that couldn't come out. End quote. Michael also picked up one of Bridget's earrings and destroyed it so it couldn't be used against him as evidence. So he, like, he knows what he did. Yeah. That morning, John Dunn came to the Cleary home to check on Bridget. And when he saw that she was gone, Michael told him the story that he had concocted for Joanna, stating that, quote, he thought she was gone with the fairies, end quote. John offered to help Michael search for her, and the two men set off for Kleningrana. While they were searching, Michael thought that perhaps Bridget had met up with an egg man that lived nearby and she left with him. So like another man that sells eggs. Not like a weird Humpty Dumpty looking guy. (laughs) 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 Okay. (laughs) This is really taking a turn. (laughs) Imagine just like a a freaking Humpty Dumpty dude (laughs) walking around. Mr. Steal Your Girl and some egg yolk. (laughs) Once you go egg, I don't know. know. (laughs) He was scrambled. I'll let you figure it out. <laughs> right. <laughs> After searching for some time, Michael couldn't keep up with the, up the ruse any longer, and he confessed to John what he'd done, bursting out, she was burned last night. John, horrified, asked him why he did it, and Michael confessed, quote, she was not my wife. She was too fine to be my wife. She was two inches taller than my wife, end quote. Okay, that sounds like an inferiority complex there, my little king. Yeah. John told Michael, quote, go now and give yourself up to the authorities and to the priest. You will have no living on earth, end quote. Michael said he'd go if John went with him, and the pair met up with Bridget's cousin Michael on the way, who went with them to the church. Father Ryan found Michael kneeling near the altar, weeping, tearing out his hair and asking to receive the sacrament. Father Ryan wouldn't allow it, and Michael Kennedy took Michael Cleary from the chapel without him having confessed his sins. John told the father, quote, they had burned her to death last night and buried her, and that he had been asking Cleary all the morning to give her Christian burial, end quote. Understandably horrified, Father Ryan had the priests contact the police, telling them that, quote, they suspected there was foul play, end quote. And as John and the rest walked home, he noticed acting Sergeant Egan following them. Egan met up with Michael and followed him to his home, the whole while asking questions about Bridget. 
Michael told him that, quote, she left home about 12 o'clock last night, end quote, and mentioned that her cousin Joanna had been at the home and that his father-in-law Pat had slept in the next room. Upon entering the home, Pat told Egan, quote, my daughter will come back to me, end quote. That is just sad, yeah. Yeah. Egan left shortly after, but returned at 10 o'clock that night to find the home deserted and the doors locked. He was able to get in through a window, only to discover a burnt nightdress. After this, Joanna was taken in for questioning, while the rest of the players, Mary Kennedy and her sons, John Dunn, William Ahern, Michael Cleary, and Bridget's father, Pat, were all put under surveillance for the next couple days. On Sunday, March 17th, St. Patrick's Day, William Simpson saw Michael in the morning, and Michael told him that his wife had left the house around midnight on Friday night. Michael asked William for his revolver, stating that he intended to go to the fort to bring back his wife from the ferries. Michael also told William that he would cut the ropes that tied her to the saddle of the gray horse that she would be riding on so he could take her back and take her home. William refused to give Michael his gun, smart, and he later saw him head up to the fort with a large table knife later that day. Between Sunday, March 17th, and Thursday, March 21st, the police are meanwhile searching for Bridget's body with the help of her cousin, Michael, who hadn't been present at the time of Bridget's murder. So he really has no idea where the body is. District Inspector Waynesboro scoured the countryside and had all the nearby railway stations watched. He searched farmhouses and outhouses, not to mention the fields, woods, and even had the ponds and rivers dragged. After several days of searching with no sign of Bridget, Waynesboro had, was of the opinion that she was dead, because obviously they haven't been able to find her. Even without the presence of a body, the parties involved soon found themselves arrested on Wednesday, March 20th by the Royal Irish Constables. This included Michael, Bridget's father Pat, John Dunn, all five of the Kennedys, so the mom, the brothers, and Joanna, and William Ahern. On March 21st, all of the prisoners were brought before the magistrates at Clonmel with Joanna's false story and William Simpson's details of what he witnessed as the only basis of truth the prosecution could use against the accused. Dennis Ganey, who gave Michael the herbs, was arrested, but he was soon released as there was really no case against him. Because really all he'd done is just provide Try herbs. Try to provide treatment, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's all he did. The following day, Friday, March 22nd, Sergeant Rogers noticed, quote, some broken thorn bushes freshly cut from a hedge in an angle of a field, end quote, as he and the rest of the force continued their search for Bridget. It was there, under a few inches of clay, that the body of Bridget Cleary was discovered about a mile from her home. Upon discovery, they noted, quote, a most terrible appearance, end quote, of her back and lower half, which were all burned. But her head had been preserved thanks to the sack that had been wrapped around it. The only clothing on her person were the black stockings she had been wearing, and upon examination of her head, they only found one of her gold earrings. Her limbs had retracted towards her torso, and her arms were folded across her breast. During the post-mortem, the coroner's jury determined that even though there were signs of strangulation about her neck, Bridget had died from being burnt. Ah, this is the worst. Probably one of the worst ways to go. Like you feel every bit of... Ugh. Yeah, you would feel all of that, and it's especially considering that he poured lamp oil on her. Right. You know? Oh. Following the discovery of the body, Joanna gave a full account of the true events that took place in the Cleary Cottage on Friday night. The prisoners gathered for trial at the Clonmel Assizes on July 3rd, 1895, 
which was presided over by resident magistrate Colonel Evanson, Justice of the Peace Mr. Grubb, and Judge O'Brien. At the trial, Michael, although respectably dressed, couldn't disguise the wild look in his eyes. He was prone to outbursts and often accused his co-accused of colluding against him. So he was playing the victim. Yeah. James, one of the Kennedy brothers, stated in court that on that fateful night, he asked Michael not to burn his wife, especially considering that they had gone three nights to the fairy ring at Kilinagrona and not seen anything to indicate that she was, in fact, a fairy. So he was like, there was no evidence that she was. There was no reason to burn her. Judge O'Brien stated, quote, This most extraordinary case demonstrated a degree of darkness in the mind, not just of one person, but of several. A moral darkness, even religious darkness, the disclosure of which had come with surprise on many persons, end quote. The jury was allowed to see Bridget and the extent of her injuries as her body was being held in a storage building ahead of her burial. And they were even allowed to verify that it was, in fact, Bridget by looking at her face, which had been virtually untouched by the fire. Oh, like uh, if I was a, jur- a jury during that time, oh my gosh, I would be so scarred, like emotionally, mentally. Yeah, no kidding. I I can't fathom going and seeing somebody who was a very popular figure in the community. Yeah. And seeing what happened to her. Like, I can't imagine that. I think this is this is where I kind of have, I guess, trouble with believing some religious stuff at times, you know, like, cause mm-hmm. sometimes your religious beliefs are so strong that it, it kind of overpowers the human element of things mm-hmm. is because in doctrine, it says that, Hey, this person has to behave this way, or traditionally they have to behave this way that you mm-hmm. kind of forget that there's a human behind all this, you know, like yeah. just because you believe that this person is a fairy they're not subjected to being burned alive, you know, especially if that's your spouse. That's, yeah. That's just horrible. Well, not only that, but the fact that like her dad was there the whole time and at no point was he like, stop doing this. Yeah. Cause he's probably on that old school mentality that this is the way, this is how we've always done things. Like tr- it's tradition. Yep. And I'm sure part of it too could have been the fact that like, Given how kind of crazy Michael was behaving, I wouldn't want to go against him either. Because, I mean, it was very evident that he was violent, given what he was doing to his wife. I'm not even, and and I'm not even going to give him a pass that he's he's in high stress because his his father just passed away too. Mm -hmm. But it's it's no excuse to to do that to someone because you feel like you have the power above them, you know? Yeah, and it's just I don't know. It's a lot of. Which is which is confusing to me. Like a lot of like religious crimes that I've heard mm-hmm. in some sort, they believe in so much of God's will, but they often put God's will into their own hands yes. or their judgment into their own hands, which yeah. is super ironic to me and it doesn't make sense. Yeah. Like they try to use religion to justify what they're doing. Exactly. Yep. During the course of the two-day trial, the Crown removed the charge of murder explaining that all the parties involved had acted out of genuine belief in the supernatural. Damn it, there it is. (laughs) Yep, yep. Michael Cleary was instead found guilty of manslaughter and sent to serve 20 years in penal servitude. The remaining were charged with wounding. So Patrick Kennedy, who had helped Michael conceal Bridget's body, was sentenced to five years of penal servitude, while John Dunn was sentenced to three. Brothers William and James Kennedy were sentenced to 18 months imprisonment each, 
while Bridget's father, Patrick, and her cousin, Michael Kennedy, were ordered to serve six months jail time. When it came time to sentence Mary Kennedy, Bridget's aunt, the judge tearfully stated, quote, I will not pass any sentence on this poor old woman, end quote. That's good, do you at think, least. Do, do you think this is kind of like a pre, like kind of a case of a bystander effect, do you think? I think so, because it's something where, like, they weren't allowed to leave. But at the same time, there's like seven of them in a room at one point. They could have easily overpowered Michael, yeah. you know? But I wonder if, like, him burning her happened so quickly. That they were just in a state of shock? Yeah, like, they were just like, what can we even do, you know? Right. Which, I mean, I get both sides of it. I get, I get the whole, like, yeah, like you said, why didn't they step in and, and be like, you can't do this, and, like, try to put her out and get her out of there. But also, yeah, they were probably, considering they were, like, praying in the next room and stuff they were probably just had no idea what to do it's a rough position to be in yeah well and you've got to imagine that to some extent i would hope that they would have a sense of like survivor's guilt almost like we let this happen we didn't do anything to prevent her from being murdered right the april 22nd 1895 edition of the new york times published the following on the case quote not witches but fairies a new explanation of the strange tragedy in Tipperary. An Irish correspondent of the London Spectator writes to inform the readers of that paper that the English papers seem to have missed the real point of that horrible chapter in the history of superstition, the murder of Mrs. Cleary in the county of Tipperary. She did not fall victim to the belief in witchcraft or in demoniacal possession. Neither has any real hold in Ireland. She perished owing to the belief in the fairies a belief to this hour singularly prevalent through the whole of Munster and, I am told, also in the North and West. A prominent tenet of the believers in the fairies and their powers is the superstition of the changeling. Spencer in The Fairy Queen writes, From thence a fairy thee unweeding reft, there as thou sleep'st in tender swaddling band, and her base elfin broods there for thee left. Such men do changelings call, so changed by fairies theft. In Munster, when a child appears delicate or a young woman consumptive or hysterical, the conclusion often is that the child or the woman has been carried off by the fairies to be made a playmate or nurse to the young fairies, and that a fairy substitute resembling the person taken away is deposited in its place, which gradually declines and ultimately dies. The belief is that if the changeling be tortured by fire, its fairy parents will hear its cries, rush to its aid, carry it back to fairyland, and at the same moment restore the real person who will be found sleeping calmly in the bed. Cleary and the neighbors evidently believed that the being they tortured was not Cleary's wife, but a changeling. He addressed her in the name of God, are you Bridget Boland, her maiden name, believing that thus adjured the being would confess it was a fairy. He said when he set fire to her, quote, you will soon see my wife come down the chimney, end quote believing that the fairies would snatch away the tortured fairy and restore his real wife. Again, after the burning, many of the men of the locality sat up all night in a fort or an earth embankment of ancient Irish village, armed with black-handled knives. These poor people thought that a fairy procession would pass by, that in its midst would be Mrs. Cleary riding on a gray horse, and that if anyone rushed forward and cut her bonds with a black-handled knife, which apparently was a potent weapon against all evil spirits, she would at once be restored to the world. In the tales of terror and wonder, it was thus that fair Janet rescued Tam Lynn from the fairies. She sat at 
Jill's Cross on Halloween at the murk and midnight hour when she sees the fairy host go by. First, she let the black pass by, and next she let the brown, but quickly ran to the milk-white steed and drew its rider down. Thus, Fair Janet rescued Tamlin, thus the poor dwellers on the slope of Sher Naman, the Witch's Hill, a haunted mountain, believed that they would rescue Bridget Cleary. End quote. It's still really sad. It is. No matter how much they try to explain, I, I just can't get over it. Like, yeah. person was essentially tortured to death. Yep. A few months later, the New York Times published an article in the July 6, 1895 edition regarding the trial of Michael Cleary as follows, quote, a witch burner sentence, Michael Cleary condemned to imprisonment for 20 years, Dublin, July 5th. Michael Cleary, living near the town of Clonmel, was convicted today of manslaughter and having burned his wife, Bridget Cleary, to death last March. Cleary believed that his wife was bewitched, and upon the advice of Dennis Ganey, the family doctor, in the presence of her father and a number of other relatives, held her over a fire, stripped her, poured paraffin over her body, and set fire to it. The woman was burned to death without the slightest effort on the part of the spectators to extinguish the flames. Cleary claimed that it was not his wife, but a witch that was burned. Cleary was sentenced to 20 years imprisonment. His accomplices were also convicted. Patrick Kennedy was condemned to five, and John Dunn to three years imprisonment. William and James Kennedy to 18 months each, and Patrick Bolin and Michael Kennedy to six months each, end quote. So yeah, it's still like... Heavy. It's oh heavy. Gosh. So what a way to wake up in this fine morning. <laughs> I know. You're welcome, John. <laughs> there was speculation that Bridget had a lover, the infamous Eggman, that Michael mentioned to John when they were out looking for Bridget at the ferry fort. However... It was believed that if she had been seeing another man, it was actually William Simpson, who had come to see her with his wife and gave court testimony at the trial. Take that as you will. I don't really think it's appropriate to like be casting aspersions on her, considering she how she was murdered and stuff. Yep. And even if that, it, I, I think even if that was the case, you know, it still doesn't deserve that type of ending. Exactly. It doesn't justify anything that happened to her. I, I just think it, this is a cop out excuse from from the husband like if he was suspecting that yep i i I just think the hysteria of it all and it's just the the narrative of her believing in in these types of things i I don't know i wouldn't say it's premeditated but i think there's a lot of passion behind it so Mm -hmm. take it as you see it (laughs) yeah in 2006 the irish journal of medical science published an article that suggested michael may have been suffering from a disorder known as capgras syndrome which includes the belief that a person has been replaced by an imposter. One thing we need to remember is that he found out about his father's death Thursday night, the night he forced the milk mixture down Bridget's throat. People who suffer from Capgras syndrome determine the nature of the imposter based on their culture. So in Michael's instance, it makes sense that he would believe that Bridget had been replaced by a fairy changeling, as opposed to like hallucinating someone else. Michael only served 15 years before he was released on April 28, 1910, from Maryborough, and he moved for a time to Liverpool before he immigrated to Montreal, Canada in July 1910, where he disappeared. As for Bridget, she was buried in the Clonine Churchyard, and her memory lives on in Tipperary thanks to a nursery rhyme that the local children tend to say, quote, Are you a witch, or are you a fairy, or are you the wife of Michael Cleary? End quote. Oh my gosh, dropping bars in 1890s. My right? goodness. 
Bridget was 26 when she was murdered, and she is often described as, quote, the last witch burned in Ireland, end quote. See, I have a problem with that. <laughs> yeah, because she yeah, wasn't I a just, witch. Because she wasn't, yeah. And even if she was, so freaking what? What's the worst thing a witch can do to you? Like, if you yeah. piss them off, you probably grow warts or something. But if you're nice to a witch... she's going to sell you bad eggs? Yeah. If you're nice to a witch, oh my gosh, everything's bounties are plentiful. You know what I'm saying? Like you, yeah. you want something, you want something nice. A witch can probably hook you up with something like that. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't understand the whole demonizing. Yeah, that's. I think that's the thing. I hate it when people demonize things that they don't understand. Exactly. It's, it's because it doesn't fit the narrative of again what's tradition and what's written in doctrine that's considered quote unquote normal. Yep. It is demonized to the point that it's like. Your life is not even worth it because I don't understand your position. Yep. Hate that more than anything. Yep. I hate that too. Yeah. And it's like Maddie and I have commented in the past, like a lot of the women who were quote unquote witches just happened to be traditional healers. Like they knew what sort of plants could help you with stuff, but because they knew that, you know, that made them a witch. Yeah. It's it's because common folks is just, it's above their Mental capacity, I guess, yep. or it's above their pay grade in their head. Yeah. It's like, I don't understand it. Must be weird. Must be evil. Yeah. I don't know. Exactly. And you would think, you would think to this day that because we're so, I want to say we're a little more advanced in our way of thinking, there's still a lot of people that like that, that, mm-hmm. that walks around this earth. Well, it's because it's something is not, there's a little bit of gray area on the situation. It's not complete black and white. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, you're wrong. And I'm going to voice my opinion about it. Yep. It's just, it drives me nuts. Yep. So that was the the sad story of Bridget Cleary. That is, oh my gosh. Yep, that is extremely sad. <laughs> Sorry it wasn't like the fun paranormal that you were probably expecting. I was like, I was waiting for possessions, but not like <laughs> this. Yeah. It's all good. It, it, I lear- <laughs> learned some new and, and kind of reassured what we kind of already know and yep. bringing it to that point. It's like, we got to just be more understanding. And if we don't understand something... Take the time to learn it instead of yeah. just spring into action and say, I'm going to burn you down or I'm going to make sure your life is ruined type yep. of stuff. Yep, exactly. Well, and for all we know, she had bronchitis and you weren't letting her take the medicine the doctor prescribed her. Yeah. Of course she's going to be sick longer. Exactly. So, I don't know. Either way, it's totally sad. Totally. All right, let's change it around. Okay, so let's this, do this. this week's podcast plug, I'm going to let you talk about your podcast. Oh, well, we made a Twitter announcement a few, I won't say a few weeks ago by the time this episode comes out. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did take a break from the Dumb Found Dead. If you haven't listened to it, yes, we it is about <laughs> it is about deaths. But if you've ever heard of Darwin Awards and some of yep. the craziest ways, you know, people kind of eliminated themselves from the gene pool. It, it's kind of it's kind of like that. It's a lighthearted take on on crazy stories Mm -hmm. and if you enjoy puns and if you enjoy just banter between you know two good friends patrick and i not the patrick in this story and not the john from this story (laughs) as well which is this whole time i was listening to it i'm like are we in this and i was just (laughs) are we baddies (laughs) (laughs) am i the problem (laughs) i was was just waiting for sean and uh, josh's name to pop up too so but yeah uh, we're coming back january 2022 uh we're just gonna do monthly stories but you know if you haven't given a chance to listen again it's the dumb found dead you can find us wherever you find your podcast Yep. And I'll include a link to, to find them in the show notes. So you can, until they come back, listen to their back catalog of episodes, which are all fantastic. 
So yeah, definitely check them out if you like if you like having a laugh. Yes. And this week's listener question comes from our friends over at the Oracle Network, and they want to know what's your favorite episode so far. So I thought it'd be interesting if I shared with John my favorite episode from one of his shows, and he could reciprocate. I can't, and and it's funny because there was a, the the whole time I heard his story. And it's it's about like an independent strong woman, mm-hmm. and I'm gonna do the flip side of that. She is she was independent, but she was independent and for the wrong reasons. It was her <laughs> episode about Geshe Gottfried. Yes, and <laughs> I was like, she was also a seamstress. If I wasn't, if if I can, if I can remember, yes, she well. was. Yeah, she was a seamstress. However, comma. <laughs> And we were talking about food, um, about Maddie as well, because she's in New Orleans. This yeah. is how I am going to be dumbfounded, is this person is going to kill me because of her. She uses mouse, mouse butter, right? Yes, is, the, is mouse, yes. the mouse butter, so, yep. Mouse butter. And I think that was one of your like very early episodes, too. Yep, it was, yeah. Yeah, so I thought that was really interesting. Uh, she, didn't she kill like four or five of her husbands for like insurance money or something yep. like that? It was another one of those insurance schemes. So, so I thought this was, uh, it was kind of like the, a spectrum from the other way around. So <laughs> yeah, the Geshe Gottfried episode I, I really stood out to me. And I thought that was a really fun episode to listen to. So Thank check you. it out, guys. Thank you. I'll include a link to that one in the show notes. I'm trying to pull up the list of your episodes because I enjoy all the episodes of Reddit on Wiki, but I'm trying to think of which one <laughs> is like my favorite. It's, it's got to be Brothers Grimm, right? Because someone special was in that episode. This is true. I was in that episode, but I'm tr- I don't want to like toot my own horn, you know, like, oh, it's only good because I was in it, you know. You're a, be- you're a better person than I am. Every time I'll be like, oh, yeah, because I was in it. So therefore, that one's the best. Because it was me. So I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think of which ones I really enjoyed because I really enjoyed the Salem Witch Trials one. I enjoyed the one about the, the Aswang. Because that thing is... We, we talked about that on Pineapple Pizza too. And that creature yes. is like messed up. It is. Although I think my favorite one is... It's not the Aswang, but it's the other one where their legs come off. What was the Mononongal? Is that oh what yeah, it was the called? Mononongal. Yeah, it, it's... <laughs> it's Yeah, so <laughs> if, if you haven't heard of what a Mononongal is, pretty much if you think of a, a vampire, but in, not in a pretty way... <laughs> So how they how they hunt at night is that they take the lower half of their torso. That's their base. Okay. So what they do is they leave that thing somewhere hidden, hopefully. And then the <laughs> upper half of the body flies around the neighborhood trying to look for pregnant women to to uh you know eat their offsprings, I guess, their spawn. Yeah. And then <laughs> the crazy way is in order to defeat the Manananga, you have to find its lower half. Sprinkle some salt on it, like Salt Bay. If you yeah. can see, I'm not on camera right now. <laughs> you gotta like Salt Bay that thing real quick, or garlic. I think yeah, salt or garlic is what you use, and then yeah. that lower half of the body becomes. It's like a bad iPhone charger when it doesn't work anymore. Like it just <laughs> it, won't, it won't connect anymore. <laughs> it won't connect. This is it. This accessory does not is not compatible to your iPhone. So, <laughs> and then when the sun comes up and the the lower body or the upper body can't connect to the lower body. That's when the Aswan dies and it'll just get poof to the sun. Yeah. That was, that was, that was pretty interesting. Yeah. Wow. You picked the one of the, you picked our very first episode that we tried recording and we were so awkward. Well, that's why it was so great. Cause it was like one of the, like 
you know, you guys were finding your groove type of thing. I mean, honestly, I've enjoyed each of your episodes because they're all they're all funny in their own way. The latest one that came out was the one about the Nick Cage Superman movie that was never made. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> I was listening to that when I was taking a shower and I almost slipped and fell because I was laughing so hard. <laughs> Just picturing this movie. Oh my God. Fun backstory about that episode. Sean just got his booster shot. (laughs) So he was not feeling well. And there's this inside joke that he's a nervous wreck every time he hosts. And Lynn says it comes out as endearing, but we just make fun of it because it is a hot mess. It is. we (laughs) We love that about him. But this episode, oh my gosh. I don't know if you've ever watched, what's that movie? Focus? Yeah. This dude was on something. And he was just like straight shooter. Like he didn't, he didn't say. He only introduced himself twice instead of five times. Exactly. Uh, The outro was perfect. And Mm -hmm. we were just like tears in our eyes. We're just like, this is the proudest that we've been. But the next (laughs) week we're start recording back to nervous mess. So we knew it was the booster shot. He needs to just be on like cold medicine each time. He like records his episode. (laughs) But we love Sean. That's, That's a huge reason why he's on the crew is because we need that chaotic, <laughs> controlled chaos is what we call it. <laughs> that and the smut in the end. Yeah. So, listener discretion, highly advised. Every time you see a cover art that's green, you might want to put headphones on. Exa- it's, exactly. It's, it's going to be pretty dirty. <laughs> Make sure your kids are not in the room. <laughs> definitely. For sure. Oh, God. I love it. So, yeah, definitely. I cannot recommend enough Reddit on Wiki. I will include a link to their show as well. It's just so good. So, I mean, everything you've done so far, John, has been good. Thank you. I appreciate that. You're welcome. Huge fan of your show. Like, basically, I could connect this episode to a previous back catalog you had. So, yeah, it's the feeling is mutual. And I love pineapple pizza pot as well. Well, and John and the Reddit on Wiki boys, you've probably heard John before because he was on an episode of Can You Crack the Cramp Word, which was also hilarious. Very dirty. And so dirty. (laughs) I was gape seated the whole time we were talking. Whooper, I, I started calling those damn kids whooper uppers. I'm just like, you need to chill, you whooper uppers. I'm too old for this thing. Just take it down a notch. Just have some boba. <laughs> chill. Right. Just chill out, man. Well, thank you again for coming on. Do you have something good you'd like to share? No, uh, just want to say a huge thank you for inviting me. Um, I know your sister is a, a big shoes to fill. So hopefully we have <laughs> we have this. And again, Maddie, please send me all the pictures of your New Orleans trip. I'm craving everything that's there but yeah uh just thank you for having me on and you guys will see all our info in the show notes so thanks for having me on again yeah no problem yeah i would definitely say my something good is is having you on because it's always nice to see you you know we have very similar senses of humor so oh yeah it's always fun to be able to chat with friends that's part of why i love podcasting so much is being able to chat with friends and get to know I tried, people. i tried to refrain in the end because i'm like oh it's getting dark <laughs> <laughs> i was like "Ooh, i think i got jokes ready but i'm like nope this is not the time <laughs> jk 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 uh, uh, abort abort mission abort <laughs> I'm just picturing you as like very big eyed. Cause like when I was looking at you, you had like really big eyes and you were kind of like pulling back from the mic a little bit. Like, yeah. nope, nope. I could physically see you being like, nope, abort mission. Nope. Yep. I'm just like, ah, Lynn's not getting canceled for shit. I say, <laughs> let me do that on my show and it's okay. 
fair enough. Yeah, <laughs> I got you. <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, I'm going to start shutting her down. So you can find us online at yieldcrimepodcast.com. We're also on Twitter at yieldcrimepod and on Instagram at yieldcrimepodcast. We're also on YouTube. And if you would like to send us a letter, we're not going to tell you no. We do have a P.O. Box, Yield Crime Podcast, P.O. Box 341, Wyoming, Minnesota, 55092. You can also email us at yieldcrimepodcast at gmail.com. Submit your questions, story suggestions, all that fun stuff. If you would like to support the show, but you can't support us financially, totally understandable. We got you. You could leave us a five-star rating and review, which is a great way to support the show. You can do so on Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, Good Pods. And this week's listener review comes from our friends at the So Horrified podcast. And they say, wicked fun. I don't tend to expect true crime podcasts to make me laugh. So this was certainly a pleasant surprise. The stories are interesting and well-researched, but listening to hosts Lindsay and Madison's great back and forth is truly the best part. I'll definitely be listening more, and anyone else who loves true crime or just a little creepy humor should too. Thank you, Sadie. That was really nice. Are they from Boston? Because they say wicked right away. Wicked. Wicked fun. Wicked cool. Wicked fun. It was wicked fun. Wicked fun. Almusa. <laughs> for my khakis. For my khakis. <laughs> say hi to your mother for me. <laughs> See, now I want a, a, what you call that? I want a Wahlburger now. There you go, a Wahlburger. <laughs> if you would like to support us financially, you can do so on Buy Me a Coffee with a one-time donation. You can also join our Patreon for as low as a dollar a month, which will get you early ad-free access to all of our content. There's also, every week this month, a sale at our Tee Public merch shop. So November 16th through the 21st, you can enjoy 35% off everything in the store. So get on it before the holidays. And on that note, as always, I'm Lindsay. And I'm John. And I will see you next time with another tale. As old as crime. There you go. See, I told you I listen. I know. You got this. <laughs> so proud of you. And Maddie will be proud of you, too. Somewhere she's like clapping. <laughs>